0: Hello, hello, welcome back, leading women in tech. Happy July for those of you in the US. Happy in 4th of July if you're celebrating that or just taking the day off work. That works too. <laughs> for those of you in the rest of the world, I really hope that you're having a beautiful summer. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's turning into a scorcher here. Like I've just been recording today's episode. I record well ahead of time, but woof, for Scotland, it's hot today. And so I've had my window open. I'm hoping you didn't get too much background noise from that. But today, I am talking with Margaret Hermes about crisis management. Margaret is the Chief Operating Officer at a Chicago-based fintech called Avant, where she oversees operations, human resources, and internal comms. Prior to this, she's held positions in all over the the place. She was attorney, she's worked at Groupon, just after it went through IPO. You're going to hear about some of that journey today. And I actually think, listening to her story, I think part of what made her who she is today and why she has this ability to shine in a crisis which is what she's going to talk about is because of her legal background and I really want you to hear that we talk about it briefly in the interview about my thoughts on her legal background being part of what makes her uniquely qualified to shine in a crisis but that doesn't mean you can't learn from this I mean we cover I've got so many notes again I keep doing this so many notes um she talks about how being organized is key but it's not that you have to be organized but something needs to be organized if you want to anticipate managing a crisis, being organized is something that really stood out to me as one of the steps that she thinks is important. And of course, we talked a lot about the mindset that is needed in order to really move through this crisis and make sure that you don't leave catastrophe in your wake, right? Which is something I hint at in the show today that I used to do. So without further ado, let's get Margaret onto the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Welcome to the show, Margaret. It's really great to have you on Leading Women in Tech
1: today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here this morning.
0: I am so excited for this conversation. I've wanted to have somebody on to talk about crisis management for a long time. So when you landed in my world, it's like, oh, we're going to talk about this. So Tell us a little bit, first of all, about your work that you do. I kind of dropped a big hint just now. Your journey to this point, including some lowlights and highlights, and why you so enjoy leading your team through a crisis. Because I think for many of us, that's a really weird thing to be enjoying.
1: Right. I know. I know. It does seem like a strange thing to enjoy. And I I think once I kind of walk through my background, maybe it'll make a bit more sense. But I guess to start with where I am now, Uh, I am the chief operating officer at Avant. So, you know, just to provide a little bit of background on Avant, we are a financial technology company. We operate a digital banking platform that offers a credit card product and a personal loan product. We have just about 1.3, 1.4 million customers on our platform. And um, I lead our customer operations, operation strategy, compliance business risk management, and people teams, which really means I lead the teams that kind of keep our business running day in and day out. And I also, you know, that with the customer operations team, it's really the team of people who's talking to our customers day in and day out. But I really didn't actually, you know, start with my career thinking that this is where I would end up. I actually started, uh, you know, my career um, by going to law school and graduating law school and going into um, what's sort of colloquially called big law, um, which really means just the largest law firms in the world that generally tend to support big organizations. And I spent five years at a, a large law firm Supporting clients that were primarily doing mergers and acquisitions, so all kinds of acquisition activity. And I supported those clients on executive compensation and employee benefits issues that came up in those acquisitions, which was really cool in that I got to see the ins and outs of hundreds of different companies that my clients were acquiring or selling, and really got to see how their various employee strategies worked, right? So from large manufacturing businesses that had big union workforces and pension plans to, you know, tiny tech startups that had, you know, 10 10 employees, which was a really good way for me to start to understand the criticality that people play to organizations and to the products that organizations um, offer. I really liked practicing law. And I think that in mergers and acquisitions, there's just sort of a thread of a little bit of chaos um, Mm. that weaves through it because there's always, you know, there's always a timeline. You're trying to get a deal done. There are two sides that may or may not be on the same page. There are things that come up. Um, throughout the course of the deal that may be super unexpected. Um, And so it was very exciting work and it was really fast paced. I enjoyed it quite a bit, but I started to, you know, be on calls where I would see people who were working in the companies that we were buying or selling and having due diligence conversations with them. And I started to think like their work actually seems really interesting because they're really invested in the businesses in which they sit. And I think I could do that. (laughs) At the time, it was just right about the time that Groupon in Chicago um, had IPO'd. Um, It was the biggest tech company in Chicago. And at that time, this was in, you know, around 2012, late 2012, early 2013. This will probably surprise people listening to this podcast who don't have this history, but it was the largest IPO uh, at that time ever in history. So um, they had had this crazy IPO and they had grown by acquisition. Um, They had acquired effectively in a three-year time frame, their competitors in 47 different countries. Um, Mm -hmm. And I got an opportunity to talk to the hiring manager um, who was hiring for a global benefits role And effectively, the role was they had a strategy at that time called One Playbook, and they were really trying to standardize processes across all 47 countries um, in which they operated. And um, I remember telling, you know, I, I sort of was connected with this hiring manager through a friend, and I remember telling my friend, like, I don't have any of the skills that I think she's looking for, but if you get me in front of her, I can convince her that I'm the <laughs> right person for this role. I'm so excited about it. Um, and I was able to convince her. She hired me. I had never worked on sort of the kind of, HR business side of an organization. I was really just familiar with the laws that applied. And so it was definitely a really steep learning curve for me, but I had an incredible opportunity to effectively build out a team across all of these geographies and standardize and mature processes that hadn't caught up. To the growth of the business. I eventually took over executive and equity compensation um, and sort of did some similar processes there and then ultimately had a chance to go over back to their legal team and spend some time on their legal team um, handling some of the requirements that uh, they had as a public company, specifically with respect to executive compensation, all of which was really, really fun. Um, and I got to a point, I had been there for about six and a half years, and I got to a point where I, it, the, the organization had matured a lot, and I started to miss a little bit of that chaos of the earlier mm. stage business. It was right around the time that an opportunity came up um, at Avant, my current company, and uh, they were spinning off another company, and the whole human resources team was going over there. So the hiring manager, you know, who is now uh, Avant CEO, um, I had a conversation with him and the opportunity was basically to come into a fairly mature business that had pretty much no HR team and really not a lot of HR infrastructure. So I got to come in and build that out. And I happened to join... Uh, in September of 2019, so I was just about six months ramped up when um, you know the the pandemic um, hit and had to support you know the business as an HR leader through the pandemic. Ultimately took on a role as chief of staff to our chief executive officer and then ultimately moved into uh, the role that I'm in today, which is chief operating officer. So certainly I would say a bit of a winding path. I think Mm -hmm. when I left law school, I thought, you know, I'll be a law firm, I'll be a partner at a law firm one day. That's kind of my, that's the clearest, you know, path that I see. And that hasn't necessarily been how it's worked out. And I would not have it any other way. I think that my current role is a great fit for my skill set. And, you know, I'm incredibly happy um, and I'm happy that I didn't go the, the law firm partner path.
0: I love this story because I hear from so many women who tell me, oh, yeah, I'm a woman in tech, but I didn't start off in tech or I've got a really strange career path or can I call myself a woman in tech? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can actually. And you're yet another example of actually what this really looks like. And it's normal. And actually, I listening to you and also, you know, we're going to talk about crisis management in just a minute because that's where you really shine. I think part of the story you've just described is probably one of the reasons you're so good in a crisis. Being a lawyer, you know, most women in tech don't have that experience. It's a very small percentage of women in tech who have that experience. That You actually work with a lawyer who's a woman in tech, but, you know, it's unusual. And I think that just being able to deal with what the law side of things throws at you must mean that you learn quickly. You either sink or swim with, like, maintaining that calm demeanor that's so necessary but even just mergers and acquisitions and yeah. building a team from scratch, I can just see that both of those, there's a lot of change management that goes on. And I think as we'll come to, there's a strong overlap between change management and crisis management. So
1: I think you're right. I think yeah. that's right. I totally
0: agree. Well, let's let's dig into shining in a crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about what it takes in terms of planning, strategy and mindset to be yeah. the person who shines?
1: Yeah, I think something that's sort of interesting, and I talk to a lot of people who, you know, when they know that a a problem will be coming up, they want to know, okay, if X, Y, Z problem comes up, what's the process that I should follow? How should I solve it? And I think what's really important to think about in terms of crises is that you effectively need to be prepared to handle a completely unexpected issue, right? Um, and so it's this tricky balance of how do you be as prepared as you possibly can be, but at the same time, you're you need to be as prepared as you possibly can be for something that you can't even contemplate will occur, right? And so I think that. The sort of transferable problem-solving skill set is absolutely critical when a crisis comes up, and and that's why it's a crisis. It's because it's something that you wouldn't have expected occurring, and and just to be clear, and I was just thinking about this bef- before the podcast. I mean, I I am, you know, when when we talk about crises, there is a grand scale of what what it really means um, to be a crisis, and certainly. I have a very good friend who is a, a, an emergency trauma surgeon and oh, wow. you know, that's not what we're talking about, right? Um, which is good to keep in mind that perspective, right? Those mm-hmm. aren't the crises that I'm handling. I'm not a first responder, but the perception of crisis can really mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, you know, even small crises that people deal with every single day, it's really important to kind of start to to use the skill set to deal with those, um, because as you grow, those those problems, unexpected or not, are going to get bigger. So I think the number one thing is to know your function inside and out. You know wh- whether or not you have a small area of responsibility or you oversee, you know, numerous different teams with hundreds of people. It really, really matters that you have the complete details and mastery of your world. And then next is making sure that you have built relationships across the business and you know that there are other people within you know, within the business um, what they do and why they do it and why that's important. And once you have those things, then you can start to apply your sort of crisis management skill set, regardless of what comes up. So I think number one thing when a crisis occurs is, you know, what I just mentioned is perspective, right? Um, I think perspective and putting the issue in perspective um, is going to enable that level of calm no matter what. Right, so you know something might feel in the moment that it is going to cause a project to implode, cause an initiative to implode, cause the company to implode. It's it's probably not going to, um, because your calm and resolve are going to help you know steer the ship through it. And I think that is always really important to keep that in mind. The second thing is I think the ability to stay calm. I worked for a leader when I was at Groupon and, you know, I I was not always able to stay calm in a crisis and (laughs) I would go to her when a major issue would arise and she would first just, you know, listen and she would just sort of like take it in and then she would kind of sit and pause and clearly like sit with either the bad news or the issue and then she would sort of go into like, all right have we talked to this person? Have we talked to that person? These are the steps that we're going to take, you know, et cetera. And I learned so much from just her ability to clearly just take a pause, think about it and then start moving Mm. into management mode. Um, but that ability to not, you know, sort of lose your cool, I think is really, really important. I think the next thing is being able to be very organized, right? Whether or not that's you maintaining that organization or having sort of your right-hand person who's sort of maintaining a project tracker or, you know, a list of, of things that are going on or, you know, a list of communications or whatever the case may be based on the crisis itself, you know, getting organized early is absolutely critical. So you can maintain track of everything that's going on as things are moving quickly. I think next is being self-aware enough to know what you don't know, Mm. right? So certainly if you know your function inside and out, if there is an issue that affects the business, if there were something that were to come up today that affected our business, I would know you know, exactly um, everything I need to know specifically within my function. But I also think it would be important for me to know enough to say, "Hmm, I don't know the answer to this question and I need to pull in our CFO on this one. He's going to have a really good understanding of how this issue might impact our, our financials. Or I'm going to pull in, um, you know, our corporate attorney because she's going to understand whether or not we may have contractual recourse based on this issue. And it's really important to know that's why that sort of relationship building skill set is critical because, you know, the right stakeholders to pull in to help solve the problem. I would say next, um, sort of most important skill set to hone to be prepared in a crisis is the ability to make decisions with a lack of 100% data. So, you know, if there is a crisis, most of the time there's something that's sort of moving quickly and you need to be able to make a decision and you won't always be able to make a decision with 100% of the data. Certainly, that would be wonderful Mm -hmm. if you had all of the data sitting in front of you and the decision was sort of laid out um, much easier. But I think the ability to kind of say, okay, we know these five facts, this sort of this information is missing we're going to make some assumptions about this missing information because we know that we need to make a decision today. And the ability to sort of hone that decision-making process to think about all of the facts that may be out there that should inform the decision, but also simultaneously recognize that you're not going to have all of the information and all of the facts and be able to wait the criticality of the information that you have and the information that you don't have is really, really important because you will need to make, there's something, you know, will, is presumably going wrong. You presumably need to make a decision quickly. And so you're going to have to make a decision with limited data. And so getting comfortable with that and knowing, you know, when it is prudent to to say, mm. We've, I've made these assumptions. And so I still am comfortable making this decision versus when you have to say, we can't make this decision because we don't have this data and this data is absolutely critical. Right. Um, And I think that's really important. And then finally the ability to prioritize and deprioritize presumably, you know, in a crisis, things are not going to be able to be done perfectly. And so what things do need to be done absolutely perfectly and what things can you say, you know what, normally in this process, we would be following these five steps this fifth step, we're actually going to deprioritize because we need to make a decision really quickly here. Um, And so being able to sort of think through what are the most important things that need to get done and where can we perhaps deprioritize, you know, which again necessitates that deep understanding of your functional area because you need to know what is important and, and what is not important. And then you know, I should have said this maybe at the beginning, but communication is key. Mm-hmm. Communication with other stakeholders in the process is absolutely critical. And I'm reading a book right now, you know, and I think that, um, I can't remember the exact quote, but I think that one of the the sort of key takeaways that I've gotten is like, sometimes leadership is about saying the thing that's obvious, but you need to say it, right? Um, and I think it's really important to be very, very, open and communicative. If you're a more senior leader and you have a group of employees to whom you are communicating, my personal preference and style as a leader is that the more transparent you can be, the better. There are going to be things in a crisis, as an example, that you may not have the answer to. And I think that employees are forgiving of that fact, right? That you as a leader may not have the answer if you're open and transparent and vulnerable and say, hey, you know, we're dealing with this crisis. We're dealing with this issue. Here's everything that we know. And here's everything that we're doing to solve this issue. Here are some things we don't know the answer to these things yet. And here's why we don't know the answer. Here's what we're doing to get the answer. You know, I would I would take that all day over saying we don't have all of the facts yet to tell our employees. And so we're not going to tell them yet. Mm. I Transparency is so important and it engenders trust, you know, after the crisis or as you're moving through the crisis.
0: So much of what you said there, I think really speaks to the mindset that we need to deal with a crisis, because I think a lot of what you're saying operationally, it's very similar to what we do day to day. But the key difference is the mindset, you know, the mindset of I don't have all the information, I'm going to have to make a decision anyway. The mindset of being really, really self-aware and understanding like the impact of your actions on those around you. Or just, you know, being calmer in a crisis. And I speak as somebody who spent uh, many years not being calm in a crisis. I thought I was being calm, but I really was not. Yeah. The people around me, it was like this whirlwind behind me. um, And it took somebody pointing that out to me. Like the amount of damage I did in a crisis was quite... I thought I was solving all the problems, but I didn't bring people along with me. Yeah. But also um, the mindset there of you've got to bring people along with you. You've got to keep people informed. Even if you're like, oh, I don't know the answer yet and just having that confidence of it will be okay. And actually it's better for them to know. And I think so many of us miss that. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. It is definitely better to bring people along. And you know what? I, I actually, from from this sense, I actually think I have taken a lot of lessons from, um, we didn't talk about this at the beginning, but I, I'm a parent to a seven-year-old daughter. And I think that when you... Put in perspective that different people, for different people, different things are are crises, right? And sometimes I see my daughter and um, she is, you know, as she's learned, for instance, to tie her shoe. Like if she can't tie her shoe and then she, you know, can't go on her scooter. Like for her, that's a crisis. And helping each individual person and meeting them where they are in terms of their skill set, their ability to handle stress um mm. their you know their how they're going to sort of digest and take in the information i think is really really important and so i do think that like being able to be open and honest throughout the process and understanding that you're going to meet that person where they are is totally critical because without that they're not going to be able to trust you.
0: Mm-hmm. 100%. I've got a I mean we are running out of time here but I've got a couple of questions I have to ask you because I think these are so important to listeners. So I'm hoping I can get like a couple of quick answers on. First of all, how do people typically behave in a crisis and more to the point, how can listeners recognize that maybe they are behaving this way in a crisis um just to give them that up level.
1: Yeah. Um I want to say there's a like a sort of perspective on crises where people either can tend to over-function where they want to go and handle every single thing. That was me. <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. definitely me. Which certainly is keeping things moving forward. But if someone isn't kind of maintaining calm and prioritizing, it can actually, I think, derail the critical things that need to happen, mm. right? Um, and then there are other people who you know, a crisis is, is traumatic for them and they underfunction. right? They want to kind of step out of it. They don't want to have to deal with the quick decision-making and, you know, the, the problems that, or the mistakes that may have been made and that makes them really uncomfortable. And I think that the ability, again, going back to that concept around self-awareness, the ability to know like, all right, how do I operate? when things are going totally haywire is first and foremost, the, you know, critical element of understanding how you can best operate. Because if you are under functioning, you're going to have to know that about yourself. So you can learn how to kind of lean in and get a little bit more comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling of a crisis. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're over functioning, you know, I think asking yourself why and sort of figuring out how to kind of tone down a little bit and um, prioritize is going to be sort of a key element of getting through it.
0: Absolutely. I also want to ask you then quickly, you, you and I previously spoke and you mentioned during that conversation that you believe crises are good for our careers. And I do actually agree with you, but I would love for you to explain that for our audience. Why are they good for our careers?
1: You know, I think that in a crisis, you don't always have opportunities to step up and truly demonstrate leadership. And when you are in a crisis, that is an opportunity for you to demonstrate all of those sort of leadership skills that we just talked about, whether or not that is decision-making or, you know, um, communication or, you know, the ability to sort of stay calm and work through all of the key elements that need to be addressed in a crisis. I also think oftentimes in crisis settings, gaps can emerge in terms of who handles what. And um, I think that the ability to step into something and learn something new Creates and gives a skill set that is really invaluable, and you may not have had an opportunity to learn it at another time. And generally, in a crisis, you know, um, at least if you're a more junior employee, presumably leaders are involved, and you can sort of demonstrate and show them that you're willing to step up and you're willing to sort of take on a challenge. And so as a result, for me, at least in my career, I've always sort of thought about crises as opportunities to really demonstrate my skill set and my worth and to learn a lot. And I also think for what it's worth, it's sort of a self-reinforcing mentality because when you have that mentality about a crisis, when the mentality is like, okay, what am I going to learn? How am I going to really demonstrate what I'm made of and what I can do? Like you're going to be able to maintain that calm and get through the crisis in a much more positive way. So I think applying that positive mindset and thinking about how can I sort of turn this into something for good, you know, it it benefits the ability to solve it and benefits your career.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think the what happens during a crisis is such an opportunity for us. I mean, we don't want to manufacture crises, of course, right? But how people respond to a crisis, I think, makes and breaks careers. Actually, yeah. So I would love to wrap up with a quick fire round, some quick questions to ask you. Sure. Um, I love these questions because I get to know the person so much more. So, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: Okay, so um when I was practicing law, um I had something and I can't recall exactly what something came up in my personal life that was just really hard um you know to go through and it I think it ended up like I think the the there was a female partner that I was working with who could tell that I was upset and like it was impacting, you know, how I was operating in work. That whatever it was a a week Or two. And she had a conversation with me and she was like, I need you to know the way that you're going to be successful is you need to learn how to compartmentalize your working life and your personal life. And I thought about it and I was like, I don't think you ever care, you know, sending me an email when I'm like with my family, but I'm hearing from you, like, I can't bring my personal life into work. And like, to me, I think that the way that I operate is by knowing who the people are at the end of the day that I work with. And like, presumably in almost all cases, that's informed by so much more than what we do professionally, right? Mm -hmm. It's informed by their lives. And I think if people weren't bringing their personal lives into work, number one, work would be really boring. But number two, like it would be more difficult to sort of understand how that person operates and behaves. And so that was definitely the worst piece of advice um, I've ever heard. And actually – You know, that sort of concept of bringing your whole self to work and making sure that everyone else can bring their whole self to work, like I think is really, really meaningful and important and helps us all work much better and understand one another, um, you know, in a much more meaningful way. Yeah,
0: I love that. I do think we should bring our whole selves to work. I would say we should bring our whole best selves to work. There is an executive presence piece to that in the right context. Yes, Yes. I love that. Um, okay, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Hopefully a lot more optimistic and less putting you in a box as a woman yeah. who has a life.
1: I would yeah, I would say two things. So first, you know, and this is it's so simple, but when I was I wanna say my daughter was about three or four weeks old. Um so I was a new mom and completely sleep deprived and you know the excitement of having a new baby had worn off but she wasn't sleeping yet kind of a phase <laughs> um and someone texted me and said like you just need to tell yourself every single day you're doing an incredible job you're going to be so overwhelmed by like am I getting this right am I getting that right am I getting like you're doing a really good job right you're working so hard you're doing a great job and I do I I send that piece of advice to every new parent, but I also think it's so applicable in the work that we do every single day. And like, we need to tell ourselves that like Mm -hmm. we are doing a great job and, um, the ability to kind of step back and, and especially for, for those of us who kind of are high achieving and hard on ourselves, like the ability to kind of just that simple, like you're doing a really good job, um, is very important. Yeah. The other piece of advice I was going to say um, that I got early on in my career and I really try to stick to is to read. I read all the time. I love reading. And I do think that reading contextualizes just how I think about work in a different way than any almost anything else that I do.
0: Well, that brings me nicely to what is the last book you read?
1: So I'm currently reading. I try. I'm a big nonfiction reader, and I um, am mostly audiobook, which my husband makes fun of and tries to claim that's not real reading. Um, I disagree. I, I like my
0: audiobooks too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'm currently reading a book called "Scaling People" um, by Claire H- Hughes Johnson, who is the, I believe, former um, Chief Operating Officer at, of Stripe. Although she's she's still there, and she was previously at Google. Um, so I'm in the middle of that. It's an excellent read. And then prior to that, I actually just read Bono's book. Um, it's sort of a memoir of sorts, um, memoir/slash autobiography. Um, and it, you know, is about both his charitable work as well as his music. So both of those in different ways have been inspiring me lately.
0: I will make sure that a link to both of those are in the show notes for our listeners who are interested. So I would love to know, how can people connect with you? How can people find out more about what you do, follow your work?
1: So I guess two things. First of all, I'm always available on email, um, margaret.hermes at Avant. Literally, I will, I'm will. i very open to anyone who wants to reach out to me at any point. And then second of all, we have a people blog, our Avant people blog, where people can learn about various different, we call our um, employees avantees and people can, um, you know, reach out um, and it's through our, the blog of our website, which also has sort of customer facing information, but yeah, people can visit our Avant blog at any point and learn about the people who work here, which is really my passion and, um, you know, a lot of what I do all day. Well, I
0: will, again, make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely. Have you any final thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with today, Margaret?
1: I would say on the crisis management piece, my final thought would be on this concept of perspective to keep in mind always. And someone told me this early on in my career, my first boss at Groupon, she said, you know, there are very few mistakes that can't be fixed. And I've always thought about that. And I think it's really, really important to keep in mind and to help kind of ground yourself in a crisis setting. And it's true. There are very few mistakes that can't be fixed. And I think on the career piece, the thing I'd leave people with is you don't have to follow that sort of linear career path Mm -hmm. and it's okay to take sort of side steps in your career, not every you know. When I went to Groupon, I what it wasn't a quote unquote promotion. You know, my path at Groupon wasn't wasn't necessarily. I did a lot of different things, and ultimately, all of that has made me better at my job. I think, and so I, I do really think it is so important to keep in mind when you're making difficult career decisions. It doesn't have to be a linear path.
0: Oh, 100%. I actually think the most interesting people I've ever worked with are not on linear paths. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your inspiring journey today, talking about crisis management, taking the lid off a little bit of what happens in a crisis as well. So I really, really appreciate that. Also, thank you for supporting this podcast without people like you supporting it. This podcast would not be the amazing free resource that it is for women in tech. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And it was great to talk to you. Um, so I really appreciate it.
0: And for listeners, if you are enjoying this interview with Margaret, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast player or on YouTube. That is the best way to support us as a podcast and make sure we keep bringing you amazing free content like this every week. Do check out those show notes for the books that Margaret's mentioned. And remember, as always... Stay on your tech leisure game, follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.